0: The notion that a new president should be given an interim report card after 100 days is something that got started in Franklin Roosevelt's administration when the New Deal got off to an undeniably rocket-like start. But since then, some presidents have got some things done in the first 100 days, and some haven't. Where does Donald Trump fit in on that continuum? That's the topic of this week's Big Story podcast as the Trump administration closes in on the 100-day mark. I'm David Hawkins, the senior editor at CQ Roll Call, and joining me in the studio is our White House correspondent, John Bennett. Good morning, John. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is always a pleasure to hear what you've got to say. At the end of last week, the president tweeted somewhat defensively that the 100-day mark is a, is a false
1: construct or an unfair construct. I kind of think he's on to something. That is certainly a popular view, especially among his supporters and among White House officials. Um, and every president goes through this. They they get elected. They come in, and you know almost immediately the the questions during the transition are, "What can you get done in the first hundred days?" Typically, that is a, a honeymoon period where Congress and the media and and you know sometimes even the opposition party go a little lighter on, especially a newly elected president. Uh, not so much a second term president. Um, you know they're they're nominating their cabinet and 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 so so on down the government. They're nominating folks, trying to get their team in. They're trying to get their White House team in. Uh, they're trying to get you know, senior staff. They're hiring staff at the White House. So it takes some time. So everyone gives people, uh, gives presidents a uh, benefit of the doubt or just some time to, to find their legs and to kind of grow into the job. This has not been a honeymoon period in any way, shape, or form. And you have to look at the environment that the president himself, as candidate Trump and then President-elect Trump, kind of created this environment with his, with his brash talk and his insulting of folks and just upsetting so many people across the country, so many people in the political space that, as president, you're right in the middle of. He never got a honeymoon period. Uh, the White House, uh, you know, as you said defensively, we'll point this out, But they have plenty of responsibility for that. To
0: be sure, Mr. Trump has tried to get a few things done beyond uh, the routine of filling up his cabinet. Although, having said that, he's still got a couple of uh, cabinet secretaries positions yet to fill or yet to get the Senate to agree to fill. We should just review for for ourselves and for our audience what what's on the plus side? What has what has this first hundred days accomplished that's beyond the routine?
1: You know, I think the White House has a point uh, with the the Republicans' use of the Congressional Review Act to undo us, you know, a, a long list of, uh, of regulations and, and rules and things that President Obama and, and his team put in place. When you undo something, you are doing something. And a lot of folks, especially the critics uh, of the president, say, well, he's just undoing things. He's not actually doing something. Well, think about your personal life. If your spouse makes a decision on, on the home front, maybe financial, and you come in and undo that, well, you did something. And the conversations at your house are probably going to reflect that you did something. And we've all, <laughs> we've all been there. And so, so that does count, and that's on the plus side. They've rolled back 13 Obama regulations, including um, the Internet privacy, which w- that might be the most controversial. So that is doing something. When a lot of folks... And a lot of folks are upset about that, and I don't think we've heard the end of that debate. So that is doing something. So I, that's a a a point where I think the White House definitely has a point. If they're able to avert a government shutdown, you can look at that two ways. That's either a plus, or that's just the president and Congress doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, he would got Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. That is probably his biggest win. Sometimes with all the controversies. And, you know, the self-inflicted wounds that the president and the White House have uh, have inflicted on themselves. I think the Gorsuch confirmation gets overlooked. It kind of shows you where we're at, that a Supreme Court justice can get on the bench and it gets overshadowed by everything else uh, the new president is doing. But fair to say, as I think you were just starting to say, that
0: many of the reasons why what he has achieved in the first hundred days have been obscured. Are actions of the president's own making. That he doesn't, he's not a guy who seems to want to stay on message or on task all that long. And that many is the morning or the week when the White House is sort of teed up a good week and he goes and tweets about something or says
1: something and changes the narrative. That's right. Uh, That happens frequently. You know, they'll have a routine Monday and Tuesday. And by Wednesday afternoon or even Wednesday morning, he's tweeting something incendiary. He's insulting someone. He's going after federal judges. He's going after Democrats. He's going after candidates. He's weighing in on something that other presidents wouldn't have. And so you really get it it can overshadow from what should have been several several good weeks for the administration, including uh, the Gorsuch confirmation. And if you look at the Gorsuch confirmation that that is at its core, it's a very good thing for President Trump. and it will be part of his legacy, but also part, of that legacy will be that uh, that he backed uh, Majority Leader McConnell, changing the rules of the Senate. Uh, the nuclear option for Supreme Court uh, nominees only need uh, 50 votes now. So there, you go. there so, you go. So you've got a positive, but it, attached to it is what a lot of folks say is a really big negative that has changed the Senate forever. And,
0: of course, the biggest thing that seems as though it is going to be left undone, uh, well, it will be left undone by the time the 100-day mark Expires No matter what happens to resurrect the health care bill in Congress this week, the president surely thought or surely expected or surely worked his uh, and his administration's tail off to try and get the health care
1: bill at least on track by the hundred days. And and and. And we are going to find out if it's back on track. Uh, Negotiations during uh, the two week recess uh, were ongoing. I talked to a deputy house whip late last week, Tom Cole, who told me the president. Was uh, heavily personally involved during the recess, calling members, calling some members out of the blue, to weigh in, to hear their thoughts, uh, just to get updates on on where the talks uh, stand. Uh, the president and the White House late last week very uh, very confident that they can get to a vote if not this week, and, and then and they're hedging, especially on Friday. There was some serious hedging going on um, that. It's not necessary to do it this week ahead of the hundred day mark that if it comes a vote comes next week in the House that's fine. they want to get it right and get something that the Senate can start working with rather than just something to pass the house that might die in the Senate so um, and and that is actually a sign as we come up around the hundred day and, and and turn that corner that is actually a very conventional White House operation if they rush the first one. It appears they learned a lesson. And we'll see. We'll see. It could be. It could become so tantalizing to have the House pass a health care bill um, later this week before the 100-day mark. That and that's a box you can check. It's something you can point to. Uh, you can go give a speech about it, perhaps. But as of right now, that it, it, it's kind of a normalizing. If they, if it does happen, if they wait a week or two and then the House votes after they. You know, keep improving the bill at least in the minds of conservatives and moderate Republicans. So they can keep that deal intact while making it something that's more palatable for the Senate to start with. You know that that could be a sign that that the White House is at least getting its legislative operation more more together. Because to state the obvious, this hundred-day marker is is a convention. It's a it's a media
0: convention. It's a historian's sure. convention. Sure. In in the full eyes of history, nobody's going to remember whether they. House passed a health care bill. Well, what they're going to remember, what they would remember, is the House tried maybe twice and failed. That would be bad for history. But if right. if they can put this bill back on track and get it through the House, uh, what history will remember is that they got it done on the second try, not that they got it done on day 99 or day 109 or day 139.
1: Right, a defeat again or pulling the bill again because you want to rush something and, and get get it past the House before the 100th day a defeat would be a huge loss. I mean even right who cares if it passes next Wednesday, you know, after the 100th day mark. It's not that big of a deal. But if you lose again on what was probably your biggest campaign promise, boy that's that looks really bad and that stays with you. You you don't shake that. So in in uh, preparing for the 100 day
0: mark, John, you presumably have been you've been talking to people in the White House, you've been talking people on the hill, maybe some historians. How does this first 100 days rate in terms of White House intrigue and internal White House friction? It seems seems pretty intense to me, but I don't I don't have a historic marker to go by.
1: It's very intense. Um, The the phrase that keeps popping up in my conversations with the various folks, not the White House folks, but uh, even Republican lawmakers and, you know, operatives or former officials is I've never seen anything quite like this. And, you know, that, that is really the story of the first 100 days, the palace intrigue, you know, the staff infighting, um, the, you know, the two blocked uh, travel ban orders, uh, the first of which was not really even populated to relevant agencies to get feedback and get legal input. It just it, it was rushed and it, it wasn't done very well. So those kinds of things and the chaos, I like to say, um, and I think this is. This is dissipating a bit as as you know they bring in folks like H.R. McMaster, the new National Security um, Advisor, and some of the Cabinet Secretaries kind of step into bigger and bigger roles. Early on, especially the first three weeks or a month, the Trump administration would just you know metaphorically walk into a room, grab the first piece of China they saw, and break it, <laughs> and then blame everyone else for breaking it, and then spend the next two days cleaning up the various messes. Is kind of a spiderweb of messes that would come from the original throwing the plate on the ground.
0: And this is the uh, some some see this as almost purposeful. This was the so-called uh, Steve Bannon, the kind of disrupting the old order. I forget now what the the key the key
1: catchphrase which you'll remember about dismantling the the administrative state. That, yeah, yeah, that yeah that yeah. this. Well, I don't think the chaos was all of the chaos was uh manufactured i don't think it was uh it was purposely done i think it was just a direct result of you know this was an outsider president uh, he he his senior staff were kind of outsiders at least uh, especially to the the washington establishment the republican establishment they don't really have anyone in the white house who's ever done something like run a white house and run a government before so these are really you know uh RNC staffers. And Steve Bannon ran uh, the Breitbart News Organization. Before that, he was a producer in Hollywood. And, you know, they just don't have that kind of background to know what you're supposed to do when you have an executive order that's going to ban Muslims from six or seven specific countries and kind of the ramifications from that. So if you ran a conservative website, you're thinking about clicks. You're thinking about revenue that's a very good thing. If you put up a story advocating for that, a story in in quotes, says the old school reporter, um, that's a good thing. Um, And if you don't care about the, quote, administrative state like Steve Bannon and and Stephen Miller, another senior White House uh, policy advisor to the president, you may not care very much what justice or Homeland Security or, you know, any other agency thinks or wants to to rewrite something that you've been envisioning since, since, you know, halfway through the campaign.
0: Do you think the White House staff is trying to develop or is succeeding at developing a more normal rhythm, uh, more normal relations with the press, more normal relationships among the agencies, among themselves, or is it – do they enter this second hundred days just as much sort of seat of the pants – Combative as they were in the first hundred days,
1: this is where the the factions come in, and there may be four factions at this point. You know, you've got General McMaster, the the new uh, security advisor, and and General uh, former General Mattis, retired General Mattis, over at the Pentagon, and some of those older national security hands. I think national security, yes, I think this is this is becoming a more normalized process, more conventional process, and that is, I think, that's McMaster and and uh, and Mattis especially. So, so
0: back to giving the president his due. After a hundred days, he has had some things that he would he would label successes, and that many uh, mainstream Republicans uh, might label successes. Even as some of the people in his core base of support might not see as successes, because they, in some cases, represent uh, shifts of or reversals of campaign positions.
1: Yeah, some of those are on foreign policy. You look at the the Syria airstrikes. Uh, that is something that, that Republicans wanted uh, President Obama to do for years and years. Uh, Obama started down that path and then had a change of heart uh, in the 11th hour, um, but President Trump, once he saw, and it was especially the pictures of uh, Bashar al-Assad's gas attack and, uh, you know, dead children and, and dead babies as a result of that, that changed uh, Trump's thinking and, and led to the strikes. But... He ran as a non-interventionist, as an isolationist candidate, and his presidency started out that way, and then it seemed to flip April 4th or 5th, and then the strikes came on on the 6th. Also, his suddenly—and this is one that that furrows my brow—I'm Is not surprised completely that it happened, but when you go back and you look at some of the campaign rhetoric that Trump espoused about China and President Xi— and then you look at the relationship, which looks to be both close and functional now. As president, it it really is striking the difference. And he ran hard on, especially in you know the Rust Belt and the Deep South, where you know manufacturing down south textiles, uh, that stuff moved out of here, and partially because of China and and you know really cheap labor and operating costs over there. And he ran on, I am going to be hard on China. I am going to bring the jobs back, and China is not going to get away uh, with a lot of the things they do. Currency manipulation, he brought up a lot. Suddenly, China is not a currency manipulator, uh, as President Trump is in office. And just the relationship with Xi, who he he refers to now as a, uh, a special person, that is not what he said on the campaign trail. And it's, it's not what his supporters, it's not what his voters, especially in the Rust Belt, it's not what they bought. They bought something different. We'll have to see if, if the relationship stays as warm, and I think we'll find out however this, this sudden uh, major threat from North Korea plays out. He's leaning on Xi to lean on North Korea, and North Korea is uh, their really only ally right now is China. So he's leaning on Xi to get that done, whether the president feels as warmly towards Xi as he's letting on in public or if he's just trying to butter up the Chinese president to you know, help him solve North Korea, we'll find out. But those are two really good examples of, of, of areas where um, candidate Trump and President Trump are not the same guy.
0: And so far it seems that nothing the president has done that deviates from the way he campaigned, let alone nothing that he's done that is consistent – With how he's campaigned, let alone nothing that he's done uh, with Congress that hasn't gone through as he'd planned, none of that seems to be changing the support from his base. So after 100 days, uh, while his overall approval rating is at record lows for a new president, his degree of loyalty from his political base uh, is still pretty darn high.
1: Yeah, and you know, supporters. uh, When when you read um, when you read accounts, uh, when folks get out to do some reporting, you know, in the Rust Belt or down south. They just like the guy. You know, he talks like them. He's no BS. He sounds like their buddy having a beer with on on a Friday or Saturday. So there's a connection there that's emotional. And if you go back and look at the campaign, it was an emotion-based campaign with some policy promises and then sprinkled in and a whole lot of tough talk. And, you know, I don't think he's going to change that when he gets out and about especially when he goes to those areas. And from the the travel he's done so far, I don't think he's going to deviate from his areas of support. He went to Wisconsin last week. But it's an emotional attachment. And folks say, well, he's just doing what he has to do right now. And of course, he didn't mean everything he said as a candidate. One final question, John. Uh, How do you think the state of the swamp draining is going? I would prefer to look at the swamp, and I would say the swamp is alive and well and flourishing. I don't think this president, the next president, the one after that, nor the one before this or the one before that, um, did much to beat down the swamp. Uh, the swamp is a ecosystem unlike any other. You would have to devote your entire presidency to draining the swamp, and this president wants to get a lot done. You look at his campaign uh, rhetoric in the general— He hammered, lambasted Hillary Clinton for her Wall Street speeches, um, her ties to Wall Street, advisors. I could go on. And then he gets in and he's got Goldman Sachs executives in several major positions. Lobbyists have been hired, you know, influence peddlers, which, and again, he lambasted those folks, too, on the campaign trail as his uh, rally crowds chanted, drain the swamp, drain the swamp. And he has done very little to drain the swamp. He's put in some, uh, you know, his administration officials can't lobby um, for a few years after they leave his administration, which, you know, a lot of good government folks uh, think that's that's probably a good idea. So that's a positive. But when you're bringing in the very folks that you criticized, it um, it's yet another another way that candidate Trump and President Trump uh, really aren't the same, same guy. So uh, President Trump and candidate Trump still have another 1,300
0: days to, uh, to get their stories aligned. Right, not that we're counting. Uh, not that we're counting. Uh, 100 days is just a drop in the bucket. Uh, John's going to stick with it down at the White House. I am going to stick with it uh, here in our newsroom. I'm David Hawking, senior editor at CQ Roll Call. I've been here with John Bennett, CQ Roll Call's White House correspondent. This has been the Big Story Podcast. Thank you all for joining us, and you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.